hell and the devil and sin and our eternity separated from him. And so that was an awesome day as it always is. And what we've been doing in the book of Joshua is just kind of jumping around at some different key stories. We certainly haven't been going through all of it, uh, but we have seen how God has given victory. Now Joshua, if you don't already know it, is really the book of victory. In the Old Testament, of course, what you have is the story of the nation of Israel as they came out of bondage in Egypt and worked their way through the wilderness and eventually cross into the promised land. And Joshua is the man that leads Israel into the promised land. And what happens throughout the book of Joshua? Just one victory after another as they defeat their enemies and then receive their inheritance and take up their place in God's promised land for them. And so as they inherit that reward, as they take up their place, they see God do miraculous things. We know about Jericho, that famous battle, and just countless other battles and victories as they trust God. God continues to give them all of these victories. And throughout all of that, we're going to come to the very end. In fact, today we're going to be in the very last chapter of Joshua. But before we get there, I just kind of want to remind you all the things that God did as he faithfully fought for Israel, as he miraculously delivered them from these strong and mighty um, numerous enemies that they had in this land of Canaan, uh, is kind of summarized for us by the last three verses in Joshua 21. And I'm going to read that for you real quick. Joshua 21, 43 to 45. It says, And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers, and there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Isn't that awesome? That's the God that we serve. And you know what? That should not be a surprise to any of us, right? And so one other place I wanted to point out to you, Numbers chapter 23 and verse number 19, a very profound statement. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? I mean, that's who our God is. He's a God who keeps his word. He's a God who makes promises, and when we trust in his promises, he brings it to pass. He's faithful, he's loving, he's giving, and he works on our behalf. He does these things for us. Now, a little bit of a doctrinal study. Some of you are already familiar with this, and maybe some of you are not, but uh, the very name Joshua, okay, that Hebrew proper name Joshua Uh, would be the Hebrew equivalent of a name familiar to us that comes more out of a Greek background, and that's the name Jesus, right? Literally, Yeshua, meaning God, okay, God with us, Jesus, God saves, okay? It's literally the Old Testament Hebrew version of the name of Jesus Christ, and that's a very important doctrinal truth for us, as we'll see in just a second, because what we're going to see as we go through this is the story of Joshua leading Israel is a beautiful picture of the victory that we can have also through in our abundant life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Israel, interestingly enough, for those of you who are Bible students or maybe familiar with Exodus chapter 4 and verse number 22, because in Exodus chapter 4 and verse number 22, God says an amazing thing where he refers to Israel and he calls Israel my firstborn. He says, this is my son, my firstborn. And so the nation of Israel collectively is brought together and referred to as the son of God. That's who Israel is. And therefore, Israel represents for us our lives in the Lord Jesus Christ as sons of God. Any individual Christian life is pictured for us through the Old Testament narrative by the collective body of the nation of Israel. You think about all the stories of Israel and some of the foolish things that they do, and we think, boy, that was kind of foolish, but quite frankly, we similarly do those kinds of things. And some of the times they really trusted God and God gave great victory, and sometimes we say, wow, God does that in our lives as well. And God gave that to us as a picture so that as Joshua leads Israel to defeat their enemies and to gain their inheritance, what we see doctrinally is a picture of us as Jesus leads us to win our spiritual battles and get an eternal reward. That's the story of the book of Joshua. That's what we get when we study this book. It's an amazing thing. And so today we are going to conclude this short series on the subject of victory in the last chapter, chapter number 24. So if you'll open your Bibles to Joshua chapter number 24, 
And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. That would be on page 377 of the Pew Bible. The title I've given today is The Victorious Choice, and that's what we're going to see. We're going to see that there is a very practical application of this great principle of victorious living that we're going to see in Joshua. As our Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, wants to lead us to continued victory moving forward. So before we jump in and look at this piece by piece, we're going to look at a majority of this chapter together. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. So Heavenly Father, as we come before this passage of Scripture and we understand who you would have us to understand Joshua represents, he represents you. And as Joshua leads the children of Israel, Lord, we want you to lead us. And so, Lord, I just want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for all that you have done. And as you gave so great victory to Israel, and as they inherited all the things that you promised that they would inherit, Lord, you give great victory to us as well. And I'm so very grateful for all the things you've done in my life. And Lord, forgive me for the times that I might not always remind myself or even repeat back to you how thankful I am for all the things you've done, but you are truly awesome. I pray, God, today that you would lead us all to make that victorious choice, that each of us, as we receive your word now, that you would speak to our hearts and that we would each be able to then declare with boldness that we're ready to go forward and we will trust you for continued victory in our lives as we walk forward with you. Thank you in advance for all who will make that choice today, and we pray this in your holy name. Amen. All right, well, the first thing I want us to see is what I'm going to call a reminder of past victories. We're going to start out, as Joshua starts out, reminding the children of Israel of the victories that God has already delivered them from in in chapter number 24. And I believe that in your notes I said that we would start in verse number 2. I'll go ahead and start in verse number 1 as we're reading along together. Joshua 24, verse number 1. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout the land of Canaan the multitude, and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterwards I I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen under the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt, and you dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand." And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword nor with thy bow. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and you dwell in them. Of the vineyards and the olive yards, which he planted not, do you eat? And so God has this running narrative where he just describes this history of the nation of Israel, and he literally goes back to the very birthplace of Israel and the father, Abraham. And, and the stories that are referred to very briefly here represent miraculous stories in the history of the life of Israel. From the very beginning of Abraham, and we know the story how Abraham and Sarah was barren and they wanted children and they had no children and God promised that he would make his seed like the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. And not until Abraham is 99 years old does he finally have the miraculous birth, Isaac, come through. Jacob and Esau 
Esau turns and sells his birthright, but Jacob ultimately is the one who inherits the birthright. Jacob ends up in Egypt. How did he end up in Egypt? Well, that's a long story, but ultimately what, one of the miraculous things God did was he reunites Jacob with his son Joseph that he thought was dead as Joseph now works for Pharaoh and saves the world because of how God blessed Joseph in the house of Pharaoh in Egypt. And so Jacob goes down there and he, he changes really the whole face of the, the, the ancient world at that time because of that thing. He brings Moses and Aaron into Egypt eventually to deliver Israel. And they go through all those miracles of the plagues and ultimately the Passover and the death of the firstborn. And he leads them out. And as they're leading them out, they go to that pinnacle miracle of all the Bible, the Red Sea and Pharaoh's pursuing. And of course, you know the story and the sea is parted. The children of Israel pass on dry land. The seas come back down and wipe out Pharaoh and his armies and God gives them deliverance. They go through the wilderness and God provides miraculously food, drink, day after day after day in a desert place where nothing can grow for 40 years he provides for them miraculously until ultimately they come to this river Jordan and Moses' physical life is expiring. The baton is passed over to Joshua. Joshua leads the children of Israel into this promised land. Many battles are won. Jericho is the one we always hear about and know about, but there are seven other battles of people that are listed even in this little passage. And they continually win and win and win as God is delivering them and giving them all of the inheritance and all of the things that he promised that he would do for them. And ultimately now, after all of these things, after all the work, by the way, God did all of that. They did none of that. And now they dwell in a land and they have peace and they have rest and they have food abundantly and they have things that the Bible says they themselves didn't work for. They just got it. They just received it. Kind of sounds a lot like our lives, doesn't it? God has done miraculous things, countless miraculous things to get us to the point where we are and we enjoy very comfortable lives for things, and don't be offended when I say things that we truly did not build, things that we truly did not come to pass. Things are just brought to our lives. Things are handed to us. The fact that we are born in this country, in this time, to the families that we are born in with the ridiculous privileges that we have in this place are things that were outside of our control. Yes, I'm sure that you work hard at your job. I'm sure that you work hard to provide for your family, but God has done innumerable things to bless us and to give us this opportunity. And what Joshua is doing in these first 13 verses is literally just reminding them of all the wonderful things God's done. He's reminding them of all these past victories. They need to remember these victories. I want to point out to you how important it is that we do remember, and I want you to look with me in 2 Peter chapter number 1. In 2 Peter chapter number 1, we see God emphasize the importance of not forgetting the things that he has done for us. And we're going to read several verses starting in verse number four. And what we're dealing with here is really a, a, a prescription for spiritual growth and maturity. Notice what he says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number four. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, notice, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yeah, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. 
And so Peter is near the end of his physical life as Joshua is near the end of his physical life. And he's saying, listen, before I go, you need to remember some things. You need to not forget all the great things that God has done for you. If we took the time to look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, we read about the prescription for what we understand as the Lord's Supper and how we would take the bread, and as the bread is broken, it symbolizes the body of Christ that's broken for us. And as we take the cup and drink of it, it symbolizes the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And in all these things, Jesus Christ tells us to do these things as often as we do them in remembrance of me. When you do these things, remember what I have done for you, that I gave the ultimate sacrifice. This I did for you. When you do that, do that remembering what I have done for you. And you know what? God has done multiplied miracles in our lives also, has he not? I mean, he really has. I mean, time can't suffice if we were to go around this room and to understand the wonderful things that God has done in so many lives. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then without a doubt, you have a story to tell, and it is a story of victory. And some may appear more miraculous than others, and some may have stories that seem more dramatic than others, but at the end, they're all miraculous. Listen, I've got tons of stories, and I could take all day just telling you stories of things God's done in my life. I can think of a time before I was even saved as God was drawing me to come to know him. I I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago to an unchurched family and never was in church, never had a Bible, knew absolutely nothing about God and his plan for salvation. And I was in my my early 20s and I was driving home very late one night, way too late. I mean, it was way after midnight. By the way, kids, really nothing good happens after midnight. Just, Just word of wisdom. Nothing good happens after midnight. Things were not good. And so I'm driving home, and I fall asleep at the wheel. This happened to me two, on two distinct separate occasions within months before I heard the gospel for the first time. In both cases, I could, I could tell you the detailed story. I'm not going to. In both cases, there was some imminent danger, and there's no way to explain how I got out of that without a scratch. But in both cases, I did. And, and the road was heading to a T, and right in front of the T was a massive oak tree, and, and literally in the distance between the crossroads, two lanes, my car swerved to the right and then back to the left, and I woke up in the driveway, a, a stone driveway of some farmer's yard. So while I was sleeping, at just the right instant, I curved to the right, I curved to the left. And just a couple of months later, I heard the gospel for the first time and got saved. Listen, your story of how you got saved, and and regardless of your past, if you had a very sordid past, as some of us have had, or if you've had a very clean life, and you just finally realized that you need to be saved, uh, whatever it is, it's a miracle. Because the Bible says very clearly that you have died to yourself, that Christ has come and given you new life. You are a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is a supernatural event. That is not just cleaning up your own life. That is God changing you in an eternal, real way. That is a miracle. And, and, and since your salvation, without a doubt, if you attempt at all to walk with the Lord, God has come through in so many ways and so many times to do miraculous things to help you out. Again, I have many, many stories, and I maybe have shared some of these with you before, but some of the more dramatic ones that people tend to remember, I, I of course, was a missionary in the country of Albania for 14 years, and, and, and trusting God, there were some amazing things that happened to me. So in one particular instance, in 1997, they had a, a civil war going on. The people rose up and were fighting, and uh, it was total chaos. It was total anarchy. I can't describe to you how bad it was back in those days. And, and literally, what had happened among all the things is that um, uh, the government basically laid down. The, the, the police were afraid to patrol. Uh, there was bands of masked bandits that had automatic weapons that were roaming the countryside free. They literally broke into all the prisons and opened all the jail cells and all the criminals that were incarcerated were now free to run around. And and the place was just total chaos. And the government instituted a curfew. And everybody was supposed to be in their houses by like four or five o'clock in the evening. And boy, I'm going to tell you, we were in our houses by four or five o'clock because you did not want to be out late at night. It was very, very dangerous. And if you were outside the bounds of the city, the capital city, uh, it, was, it was even more dangerous because there's no safety out there, in the, out there in the country. One day there was a young man who uh, for years was in our church. His name is Ginsey, 
And Gensey, when he joined our church in the early 90s, he just thought I was the coolest guy ever. I mean, he just loved me. He just thought, I mean, God was getting a hold of his heart and using the word of God. But man, Gensey would go up and down and sing my praises and our church's praises to everybody. But before 1997 happened, Gensey got real smart. He started reading some books and decided that I wasn't so smart and everything I taught was wrong and I was a heretic. And he started bad-mouthing me and joined another church and caused division. And he was a kind of a troublemaker. I say all that to say this, because that one, in the midst of that war, uh, this one afternoon, I get a phone call, and it's Gensey, Gensey who won't even talk to me anymore. And he says, Jeff, I've been trying to start this church in this little village about 15 miles outside of Tirana. And he said, I ride my little motor scooter out here. And he said, it's getting dark, and my scooter broke down, and I can't make it home. And he said, I'm scared to death. I'm afraid they're going to kill me. I don't know what to do. I would never call you. I'm really embarrassed to call you. But the other American missionaries that he worked with now, they'd all fled the country. I was the only guy in the country, and I had a van. And he said, would you please come get me? I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. And, and you know, honestly, for Gensey, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> but I did. I did. And I did because I felt like, you know what, if I was Gensey, and I was fearing for my life, and if I had to call a guy, even if we didn't get along, I would pray <laughs> that he would say yes. So I said, I'm going. Make a long story short, I get out and I start driving down the countryside and, and I'm just praying the whole way because I know, I know I've heard story after story, masked bandits that jump out in the middle of a road at gunpoint, they take your vehicle, hopefully leave you alive, not always. Take whatever they, have, whatever they want and they just leave you stranded on the side of the road. I knew that the chances were high that that could have happened to me. I'm driving down the road, it's a country road, I make a curve, and lo and behold, there's about six guys wearing masks holding automatic weapons. What am I going to do? Well, I can't tell you. I can't even repeat for you what all was going through my mind. I was scared, but I knew there was nothing I could do. I, had to just, I just pulled up and stopped the van and unrolled the window, and the guy said, who are you? I told him, what are you doing? I told him. And it turns out that those guys were police officers who, by the way, were so afraid of the gangs that they wore masks because if the, if the gangs recognized the face of the policeman, then they would follow them home and do something to their families. So I make it through that, and I get to the little town. I pick up Gensey. We load up his scooter. We're heading back home. Oddly enough, there's another policeman, this time in a uniform, and he is on the side of the road hitchhiking. How odd is that? Needs a ride home. And I was like, get in, <laughs> man. Get in the car, man. Sit in the front seat. And uh, we went back through. Another group stopped us. They were police officers again. Talked to him. You know, got us through. We made it home. And God just did an amazing thing. I'm so thankful. Listen, I could go on and on. Uh, Y'all could go on and on. I could tell you simple stories. Not near as dramatic. Okay, that was dramatic. I could tell you simple stories where I was riding my bicycle down the city streets and I had, I, I fell, I wiped out and I was laid out in the street and a car was coming. It was going to kill me. And a guy who I don't know just ran out and dragged me off the road. Just stuff God does. Just amazing things how he comes through for you. I could tell you story after story about things that God has done where people have threatened my life because of our ministry in Albania. People have threatened literally to throw bombs in our church and to blow it up, and God protected us from all of those things. And it is amazing to me when I think back on all the faithfulness. And these are just some of my stories. If we had the time, we could go around this room and we could be here all day, all week long, hearing the stories that God does to change our lives. And what I want to do for you, since we can't go around the room, is just give you a snapshot into some of the other stories that you might hear. Here's some folks from our church. I am Matt Crawford. Uh, I'm family life on Wednesday night. Uh, one time that uh, God really came through for me in a miraculous way was uh, on a trip to the Philippines.
And that's the story. Listen, just this week. Yeah, amen. Give him a hand. Another current example is just this week. There's one of the missionaries this church supports. His name's Jake. He's serving in China. He preached our conference back in November. Many of you may remember that. And last Sunday, Easter Sunday, um, the, the police came in and came into a couple of the churches that he had started and they're a part of, and, and they arrested Jake and another American missionary and a bunch of guys, and they hauled him down to the police station. After a long series of interrogation and whatnot, the, the disposition of the whole matter is is that uh, they took his passports and they told Jake that he and his family have 10 days to leave China for good. And uh, after seven years of giving his life there, he's seen God start four churches, and they've trained a lot of men. And um, the work's going to continue, but Jake and his family now have to leave, and uh, they have to 
go wherever it is the Lord would have them to go next. I'm sure that it's going to be a very difficult time for them. But at the end of the day, let me just ask you a question. Do you not think that God's going to use this for his glory? Do you not think that at the end of the day we're going to look back on this story and talk about the wonderful things that God did, even though at this very moment in his life, for example, uh, this is a real trial and a real challenge for him? Listen, God just does that. This is what he does. He changes lives. It's all a matter of faith. I just encourage you to think about your stories. Hopefully you're running in through your mind the stories that you have and the things God's done in your life. Whenever God has come through in a big way in your life, was it not because you just cried out to him in total dependence and you just believed that he had to come through, otherwise you were toast, you were in trouble? Well, that's what he does. That's how he comes through. That's what he does. So when we demonstrate faith, God demonstrates faithfulness. And that's what we see. I want you to listen as I read through a few key passages of Scripture just to reinforce this truth. 1 John 5, 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Hebrews eleven six says that without faith it's impossible to please God. Think about that for a second. If in your life you can figure it all out, if you can see it all and you can calculate it all and it all works out on some accounting ledger, that's really not faith, is it? But it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And sometimes those opportunities for faith come in difficult times. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 5 says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's what happens. We believe... And God works mightily. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also might do it. That's not what it says. He will do it. Faithful is he that calleth you, and he will do it. And one of my all-time favorite verses of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And notice, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. God is faithful, y'all. God is going to continue to come through, and we need to remind ourselves of his faithfulness, that he keeps his promises. And when we do that, it makes it a whole lot easier to do our second point, and what we see in the continuation of this chapter, a covenant for future victories. A covenant for future victories. And we're going to look all the way down to verse 25. Actually, verse 25 says, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. And we're going to take a look at this covenant step by step, walking through the, 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 the breakdown of how this thing is laid out. And the first thing we're going to see in this covenant is in verse 14, and that's the call. The call. Verse 14. Now therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. God, the call to all of us is to fear God and to serve him in sincerity and to put away all of the false gods, all of the things that your fathers would have served in Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is a picture and a type of this world system. All of the worldly things, the small g gods that tug on your heart and cause you to want to go and do the things that the rest of this world is so familiar with. The great news in all of this is that there's no need for you to fear your circumstances. Isn't that what we typically fear? When we fear things, we worry and we fear about things that are unknown. When we don't know what's going to happen, we begin to worry and fear. But God says very clearly, look, just fear me. Which, by the way, translates into serve me. David said in the Psalms, Psalm 27, verse number 1, The Lord is the, my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And in verse 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Fear the Lord. 
Don't fear your circumstances. Serve him, and he will bless you. He will deliver you. He encamps round about you. Psalm 115, verse 11. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. If you fear the Lord, you will believe him. You will live by faith like we saw. He is their help and their shield. In verse 13, he will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. So we see very clearly that God is proven. He has proven himself throughout history to come through, through our past, he has proven himself. We need to remember that. God also has promised. He's promised to continue to give us victory moving forward. That deals with our, um, our future. And also, and you got to get this, God's, God is polite. <laughs> he doesn't force you to do it. You have a free will, and you can choose. And that's really the next step of this covenant, the call and now the choice. The choice shows up in verses 15 to 18. Let's read. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. So it's a choice. And, and Joshua comes out and he says, look, Choose you this day whom you will serve. I want you to notice that it's a personal choice. Choose you. You choose. You choose for you. Don't wait for somebody else to choose for you. Don't wait for somebody else to choose first and then on the buddy plan say, well, I guess I'll choose too. Choose you. It's a personal plan. It's a, it's a personal choice. It's also a present choice because he says, choose you this day. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for some other thing to happen. What else do you really need to prove to you that this is the right choice to make? It's a present choice. Choose this day. Don't wait for your circumstances to change. Just decide. So Joshua stands up as a leader of men. If you remember back to verse number one, he called out the heads and the judges and the elders and the officers among all the tribes of Israel. He stands as a leader of men and he's the first one to declare, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because that's what he wants the heads of households to do. And I also stand here before you today and declare unashamedly that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to give you a very personal and a present application. And I want to address this next couple of seconds to men in this audience who are heads of your households and ask you, will you make this covenant choice today? Will you say, like we have said, like Joshua has said, that for you and your house, you will serve the Lord? Will you fear the Lord? And will you forsake all the pull of the things of this world? Will you surrender your preferences? And will you serve God with all that you have? Because if you'll do that, I'm asking you right now, this day and this time, to declare it publicly. So if you're a man and you're a head of your household and you would say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, I'm going to ask you to stand up with me. And I don't want you to feel peer pressure on others doing it, just, just between you and God. Take your stand. That's awesome. That's awesome. Look around. Awesome. Now, just to be fair, I want to say to the rest of you that aren't yet standing because you maybe don't qualify as a head of the household, 
But you would say, you know what, in my household, there isn't a man who leads. In my household, there isn't somebody who will stand and, and lead. But you know what, maybe I'm single, maybe I'm young, maybe I don't have a family of my own. But you know what, as far as me and my house goes, and whenever God gives me a house, okay, we will serve the Lord. I invite you to stand as well. I invite you to stand as well. And I want you to stay standing for a second because I want to address you and I want you to consider some things. I want to ask you some questions, and this is a serious deal. Are you really ready to forsake the pull of this world? I mean, think about it. It's a strong thing. Are you really willing to put aside, if need be, the comforts of this life, your hobbies and your habits so that you serve the Lord? Will you really forsake the gods of this world of, of selfishness and, and recreation? of security and savings, of peace and conformity? Are you really willing to say, I'm going to put aside that stuff and whatever it takes, we will serve the Lord? I have some literal applications for you, some things that I would like for each of you to consider to ask yourselves these questions as I go through. Just, just in your mind, think of this. Have you been biblically baptized? Because if you haven't, that's where you need to start. Are you members of a local church? Hopefully this local church. Are you a member? Have you signed on the dotted line and said, I have made a covenant agreement with God and the people of this church that here is the place where my family is spiritually. Do you read your Bible every day? Do you pray and talk to the Lord every single day? Do you contribute financially to support the ministries of this church? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do you faithfully attend a small group Bible study? We have plenty available for you. Do you faithfully attend small groups, a place where you can get personal prayer and comfort and support and fellowship and, yes, some teaching, but outreach and serving opportunities? Are you a part of that? Will you forsake the gods of this world and whatever your schedule demands might be and say, I will be a part of what God is doing. I will fear him and serve him with sincerity. Do you have a place that you serve regularly? Is your name on a list somewhere that says, yeah, that guy, he serves in this place. That's his, that's his ministry. Do you have a place that you serve regularly? Have you been personally discipled in the scriptures? If so, are you investing your life to personally make disciples of Jesus Christ in other places? And if you've gone through some program of discipleship and it was a long, long time ago, how long ago was that? And what is that, what is that doing for you now? Ask yourself these questions. Do you actively tell others about Jesus Christ and their need for salvation? You see, our God is a holy God. And he's a jealous God. And he won't forgive your transgressions and your sins of standing up and declaring in the sight of everybody that for me and my house we'll serve the Lord and then turn around and not do these things. You say, dang, that's kind of harsh. <laughs> Can't believe you're talking to us that way. I'm the guy who stood up. Well, just keep standing for just a second. I'm going to read to you two more verses, verses 19 and 20, right out of our text. And Joshua said unto the people, now they just responded like you've responded. Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he's an holy God, and he's a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. And that's the next step in our little covenant. It's the challenge. So you people responded positively, and that's awesome, truly. I'm not judging you. I'm laying out for you how our Joshua is leading us through this process of making this covenant. And he wants to know, are you serious this time? Are you serious? Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you. I'm going to read for you a couple more verses in the book of Ecclesiastes. First couple of verses. Keep thy foot when thou goest into the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil, 
Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. And we go down to verse number four. It says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Listen, I think it's important that every so often, as God has brought to us today this chapter in the Scriptures, every so often we clear off a space and we just get real and we just say, is this a serious deal for me or is it not? Choose you this day. Whether or not that's really what you want to do. And, and I don't find it surprising at all that there is a, a, an initial enthusiastic reaction. And I don't find it surprising that Joshua slash Jesus challenges us to consider whether or not we're sure we're going to count that cost and whether we're sure that we're really going to do it. And God in Ecclesiastes makes it very clear. Just decide. Just be honest with yourself and don't be rash, don't be foolish, don't speak too quickly. If you're ready, do it. And if not, it's better to just not pretend. That's what he's saying. And so lastly, in the last several verses, we see the confirmation. The confirmation. Starting in verse 21, we'll go down through verse 24. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. And I mentioned earlier verse 25. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. So they said, look, I get it. I get this is a serious deal. I get that I can't just stand up and say it and then change my mind and not live it. We will do it. That is awesome. That's the right response. Man, go for it. That's, who, that's what you want to see. That's what you want to hear. And that's how the people responded after all of these things. And in verse 22, Joshua reminds them and he says, okay, great. Ye are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen you the Lord to serve him and they said we are witnesses we are witnesses it's a covenant it's like a marriage it's a covenant of marriage where two people get up and they declare before God and a body of witnesses this is how we will conduct ourselves faithfully loving each other for the rest of our lives it's a covenant like we ask people who join the body of First Baptist Church that you covenant before God and this body of witnesses that we desire to serve the Lord wholly and justly together with this family of people that want to do that. And so the last simple yet serious question that remains is, will you make the victorious choice today? Will you do it? Will you enter into a covenant before God and man for continuous, victorious living? I mean, what's stopping you, really? <laughs> I mean, the only thing that could possibly stop you is you. God is for you, right? If God be for us, who can be against us? Oh, and if that little, if you happen to be hearing the whispers of, yeah, I don't know, man, I don't know if you should do that. What spiritual force do you imagine is probably telling you that? And if you're anything like me, and be thankful that probably you're not, but I think this way. You know what? If I think I have determined that the devil's trying to tell me to do something wrong, it just kind of makes me mad and makes me want to do it more. And that's how we ought to live. That's how we ought to live. Who cares what the devil thinks? Let's stand and do what God wants us to do. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, one last time. 
Get all your stuff away. Just, just, don't, just leave it there. Just don't worry about zipping your Bibles up yet. Here we stand. You've heard it all. We've been reminded of his greatness. We've made it very practical. We've called you to declare. Many have stood and declared. I warned you of the consequences if you don't really mean it. You've heard, you've understood, and now you got all the information. Now, if you really mean it, now I invite you to join me standing, if you really mean it. Just join me, those of you who are serious, and say, as for me and my house, well, you might not even have a house. As for me and anybody I have influence over, we will serve the Lord. Praise God for all of you. I want you to understand something. We're going to pray in just a second. You guys can be world changers. Do you know that? If you will, you can't, by the way, you can't pull this off, but you're not supposed to. God will do it for you and through you. But if you will just trust, if you will, if you will fear him and forsake the ways of this world, if you will surrender and serve him, he will do amazing things in your life. And this day, you can mark it on your calendar like you drive a stake in your yard and you can come back to it like an altar in the Old Testament as a monument, as a big stone. You can come back and say, what meaneth this? This is the day that I took my stand. This is the day God changed my future. This is the day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as I come before you, Lord, I'm so, so grateful for all that you've spoken to us today. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just 